With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking.、Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and、uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to Through the Bible with Les Feldick, an inspirational and informative half hour of insight into the heart of Scripture. In addition to teaching the Bible, Les is a full-time rancher, having a down-to-earth, practical teaching style that makes the Bible come to life. All programs are available on audio tape, video tape, and in printed form. At the end of the program, there will be an address where you can contact the ministry. And now, here's Les Feldick with today's lesson. Remember what we just talked about before we ended our last program, and we're going to come back to it in a minute. And the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them who had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image, these—what's the next word? Both. So these are men. And both of these men, born of women, raised up like any other child to be raised, but they become, you might say, tools of Satan. One, the political leader; the other, religious leader. And they have both been used of Satan, and they both now are cast alive into the lake of burning fire. They don't go to hell; they go immediately to the lake of fire. And then, if you want to take another reference, you come on over to oh, let's see. Chapter twenty, verse ten. Revelation chapter twenty, verse ten. <clears throat> now this, of course, is <clears throat> excuse me. After the thousand years has now run its course, and we're ready to go into eternity, and、uh, we're about to be introduced to the great white throne, the judgment of all the lost of humanity in verse eleven. But in verse ten, the devil who deceived them, old Satan, the dragon. The old devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone. Now watch what the rest of the verse says: where the antichrist, the beast, and the false prophet—what's the verb—are. They're still there after a thousand years. They haven't been annihilated. They haven't been destroyed. They're still there. And so now you have these three. Personalities who made up the unholy trinity of the tribulation go straight to that eternal doom, the lake of fire, which burneth forever and ever, and they go without benefit of the great white throne judgment. They go immediately to it, and then of course they'll be joined by all the other lost of the ages. But they at least will have their moment of time before the Lord at the great white throne. All right, now then. If that clarifies, I'd like to have you come back to chapter 13. We'll pick up exactly the same verse where we left off in our last program, where this false prophet now in verse 14 deceives them, and he's going to have the power to perform miracles and wonders, and he deceives them that dwell on the earth by means of miracles which he had power to do in the sight of, in other words, with the permission of the Antichrist, this political leader of this great. World empire. Now you want to remember that he begins his power base in the revived Roman Empire, in that geographical area around the Mediterranean and Western Europe and so forth. But 
by the time we get to the midpoint of the tribulation, his power becomes worldwide. And it will be a world government, and the false prophet as well will have a worldwide religious system. Both of them will be global, and the whole earth will be involved, but never lose sight of the fact that the, the, the vortex of all the activity in Revelation is still the nation of Israel. Israel is still the vortex, but all of the world will be coming under these various judgments. Now then, verse 15, And he had power, this religious leader, to give life to the image of the beast. Now, I think I made reference to it a long time ago, but I remember several years ago reading that the Japanese have a technology where they are actually going to come out with a, with a biological computer. In other words, it's a computer that won't just be electronic, but it's also going to have living biological cells. Now, what they're driving at, I don't know, but it's going to be a computer that puts the present-day computers to, the, to shame. And I think that's just an indication of what we have here, that this image is going to be the, the brainwork of our technology so that it will actually be able to think and speak and give orders. And it's going to have tremendous power. Now, again, one of our national news magazines a few weeks ago had a lead article on the electronic explosion that is about to come upon us, where our television sets will not just be the coming in of information, but it'll also be the outflow of information. In other words, that old TV set will just be the center of everything, incoming and outgoing information. And, of course, this is being set up for exactly this kind of a situation, where one world government will have their thumb on every home around the planet. Nobody will be left out. And so this image is going to be able to speak, and it's going to have tremendous power. <clears throat> and it's going to cause that as many <clears throat> as would not worship this image, that they'll be killed. And again, I think it's going to come through the information that the television sets will become. And the powers that be will know the activity of every home on the planet. There will be no escaping it. And uh, the technology is there. It's scary. Uh, over the years, I've been telling my classes, you know, they know all about you. And more than once, someone has said, well, who are they? Well, I don't know. Uh, but I know they have. I've read articles, and so have you. They know all about me. They know all about you. They know your idiosyncrasies. They know where you spend your money. They know where you've got it invested. They know how you spend your money. They know your health. They know everything. And then the question is, well, who are they? Well, the powers that be. Insurance companies, financial institutions, magazines. Now in the, in the farming uh, area, all of our farm magazines will give you a free subscription if you'll just fill out all this information concerning your operation. How many head of cows do I run? How many acres and all that? I've quit filling them out. I'd rather pay for my subscription. They don't have to know. 
But see, this is what the world is doing. And I imagine it's the same in every other profession or occupation. They want to know everything about your business. And it seems so innocent, but it isn't. It's going to come back to haunt people that somebody out there knows everything about you. I always have to think years back ready. Oh, my land, this must go back into the uh, early 70s where a lady I knew was the private secretary of one of the families that owned one of our, our huge corporations. And uh, her boss asked her to make reservations, I think, here in Tulsa. And they were up in the, one of the big Midwest cities. And so when she called down to a hotel here in Tulsa, and before she could get any further than giving her boss's name, the gal down here in Tulsa had already punched the computer and she said, this is the kind of a room he likes, this is the kind of a rented car he wants, this is where he likes to eat. They had it all. And that was 20-some years ago. And so you see, today, uh, they know all about you. They. Who are they? Well, anyway, verse 16. So this religious leader, he causeth all. Now, I'll be identifying him a little further. If we got time in this program, we go over to chapter 17 in a minute. But this great religious leader, this what the Bible calls the false prophet, causeth all, everybody living on the earth, small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their forehead. And that no man, no person, now of course the word man here involves women as well as anybody else, and no one might buy or sell except he has the mark of the beast or his name or his number. Verse 18, here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count or reckon the number of the beast, that is, of the power, the political system, the religious system, the whole bit. For it is the number of man, and that's always what in Scripture? Six. And so his number is six hundred, three score, and six. That's where we get the six, six, six. All right, now let's clarify. You and I don't have to worry tonight about receiving the mark of the beast. This is a tribulation event, and you and I, if we're believers tonight, will not be here. So we don't have to worry about it. Anyone who has not taken it for whatever reason, and I always give my classes room to, to think, everybody isn't immediately going to accept this demand to have this mark placed on their forehead or in their hand. Just like Social Security would like to have everybody have direct deposit. But how slow are most people to accept it? They just don't want to do it. They want to see that check come in the mail. They want to be able to deposit themselves. So there's foot dragging. Even though it's probably safer, it's faster, I use it. You know, direct deposit, I'm not afraid of it. But It'll be the same way with this mark of the beast. There will be multitudes of people who will, who will drag their feet, and they're not going to take it right away just simply because human nature being what it is. So it's not going to instantaneously take over. Now that, of course, will be a blessing in disguise. 
Because, you see, anyone who has not yet taken that mark of the beast will have an opportunity at salvation as those 144,000 Jews will be proclaiming it. But if they have taken the mark, then they can preach their hearts out and that individual will have no opportunity for salvation. He's doomed the minute he takes that mark of the beast. Now, what's the mark of the beast? Well, I've said long before most of the big wheels began to realize it, when I was just really a nobody, that I was convinced that this mark of the beast is nothing more than an 18-digit computer number. In other words, three sets of six numbers or six digits. Now, of course, I think you're all acquainted with the little bars and lines on every product you buy, especially in our supermarkets. What's it called? The Universal Product Code. And even tonight, this is, I think, how close we are. The outside bars and the very middle bar have a value of six. Now, it's not on your boxes of cereal and so forth. Some of the other numbers are. You might see a two or a three or four. But unmarked, the outside left hand and the outside right hand bar has a value of six as does the center one. Now you see all they have to do is expand this universal product code just a couple more lines and you will have 18 digits. And that is sufficient digits to give every human being on the face of the earth a separate number. Now if they can keep track of products in a supermarket down to the last nitty-gritty just by simply running those things over those scanners, then you better bet they're going to be able to keep track of every human being. In fact, from way back in the 60s, there is the largest computer on earth located, I think, in Brussels, Belgium. And, of course, it's an ancient, but I think it's still working. At least it was the last I heard. And that thing is so huge that it is, what, I think a city block, the building that houses it, a city block square. And that computer is very capable of keeping track of every human being on earth. So if you just simply bring this whole mark of the beast down to something that is so common already, a number, an 18-digit number of 666, and uh, you've got the mark of the beast. Now, of course, we know that there have been areas here in America, Scandinavia tried it a couple of years ago, a cashless society. Can a community actually go for 30 or 60 days without ever using a checkbook or a billfold? And it works. But the only problem they've had is that the checkout lines start backing up because the people in these trials can never find their card and their purse and so forth. And so even our secular articles have suggested that if there was some way of putting a mark on the flesh, on the hand or on the forehead, so that all they'd have to do is just like you do with your items in the store, run it over a scanner and there wouldn't even be a need for a card. It'd be right there. So it's all there. The technology is just simply waiting to be implemented. So the mark of the beast, have no fear of it. We've got all the evidence in the world that 
the precursors of it are with us. You and I use it every day. You can't go and get a driver's license without it. You can't file your taxes without it. And what is it? Your social security number. Now, that's not the mark of the beast. I'm not trying to scare anyone or anything like that. But America isn't the only nation with a social security system. You know, I was surprised here just a few months ago when I read that even most of the small nations of what we call the third world have social security systems, a welfare system. And every one of their citizens have a number. Germany years ago began tattooing a social security number on the heels of the newborn infant, even before they left the hospital. Great Britain has had it. And so all we're seeing is that the world is getting ready for the fact that they can't do anything without a number. And see, we're already so, so programmed to it. Kids can't start kindergarten anymore unless they have their Social Security number. And as I've already mentioned, how much are you limited if you don't have a Social Security number? All right, now just magnify that. If it gets to the place that it's a completely cashless society, and if you haven't got that number, you can't receive a paycheck, you can't pay a rent bill, you can't pay a car payment, you can't buy gasoline, you can't buy groceries, you can do nothing without that number. Consequently, what's going to happen to the people who haven't got it? Well, they're going to die of starvation, they're going to die of exposure because they can't maintain their home. And uh, it's awfully easy to understand. Now, this is why, then, when we get to Matthew 25, and Jesus separates the sheep from the goats, and you've all heard sermons on it, I know you have, but it probably wasn't in, in the right area. But this is simply the survivors of the tribulation. And some of them are sheep, they're believers in that chapter because they responded to the preaching of the 144,000 and survived. Not very many will, but a few will, Isaiah says. You're also going to have a few who are still lost, who rejected it, and they've survived. So Jesus brings them all before His throne room in Jerusalem. Matthew 25 says, And then shall the king... See? All right. The king will now tell the sheep who represent the believers, you're going to enter into the kingdom because when I was in prison, you visited me. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me to drink. When I was naked, you gave me clothes. You remember the verses? You've all read them. All right, what are they? Well, those are believers who, much like the Christians in Nazi Germany who hid the Jews, for only one reason, they had that love of Christ in their heart, and because of it, they put their own neck on the block, you might say. And so, during the closing days of the tribulation, believers who have heard the gospel from these 144,000 Jews, because of their new relationship and because they have survived, they will minister to their needs. And that's what Jesus means then when He said, Inasmuch as you have done it unto the least of these, my brethren. Now remember, nobody's a brethren of Jesus except the Jew. 
And so he's referring to the 144,000. And then when the goats, the unbelievers, say, well, when did we not do this and so on and so forth? And he answers the same way. When you did it not to the least of these, my brethren. And so they're taken off the scene. Well, anyway, the mark of the beast. It's just simply those who have given in to the rule of the Antichrist. They have given in to the demands of the religious system that's going to absolutely demand that they have it. And if they take it, they may get along with the powers that be, but they seal their eternal doom so far as God is concerned, and they have no more opportunity for salvation. All right, now then, let's skip over in the few moments we have left to chapter 17. And again, I've only got a few minutes left. We can't do justice to the chapter, but we'll get started. And as we do in our weekly classes, we'll go as far as we can, and uh, we'll stop. And then we'll pick it up uh, in the next half hour. Revelation chapter 17. And there came one of the seven angels who had the seven vials, and they talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, and I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters. Now, the language kind of shocks us, I know, but uh, we want to remember we're not talking about physical adultery here or immorality. We're talking about spiritual. And you see, spiritual adultery is when religions, organizations, take that from the pagan world and mix it with New Testament Christianity. That is spiritual adultery. Anytime you mix paganism with Christianity, that's prostituting the truth of the Word of God. All right, so this whore, as the word is used, is not a woman of the street or a woman of the evening. This is a system that has adulterated the things of God. Keep that straight as we enter in. And God's going to judge it. Now verse 2. With this system, the kings of the earth have committed fornication, immorality, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her immorality. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman. Oh, unfortunate for you ladies that the Scripture so often uses a woman in a bad light. But it does. I'll just give you a few examples. Come back to Revelation. Now, this is not a put-down, but it just, on the other hand, shows that uh, some of these things are unavoidable. Come all the way back to chapter 3, here in Tribulation. Revelation, no, I said 3, chapter 2, I'm sorry. Revelation chapter 2, and drop down to verse 20. Revelation chapter 2, verse 20. And Jesus, of course, is speaking to the church of Thyatira, and he says, Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou permittest that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication or immorality and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. Would you like to be that woman? Why, no. See, it's in a bad light. All right, now come all the way back to Matthew. Chapter 13, and then we're going to be out of time. I know we are. Matthew 13, verse 33. Matthew 13, verse 33. 
And another parable, Matthew 13, verse 33, And another parable he spake unto them, The kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven. Now, in scriptural analogy, leaven is always referred to as what? Something evil. See? Sin is leaven. So the kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven, or yeast in this case, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal until the whole, that is the loaf or the lump, was what? Leavened. Now again, would you gals like to be in that position? No. This, this is used in a bad light. That it was a woman who was guilty of inserting evil into a situation and uh, consequently, of course, God was displeased with it. So anyway, now just for the few seconds we have left, if you'll come back to Revelation 13, this system then is referred to in the female gender. Revelation 17, weren't we? And so he carried me away in the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast full of names of blasphemy, seven, seven heads and ten horns. Now here we have then a religious system referred to in the female gender. And how many times isn't that so true in our everyday speech where we re refer to a religious system as she or her? Thank you for joining us again for Through the Bible with Les Feldick. If you'd like to order audio tapes, videos, or any of our printed material, you may do so by writing Les Feldick Ministries, Route 1, Box 760, Kenta, Oklahoma, 74552. That's Les Feldick Ministries, Route 1, Box 760, Kenta, Oklahoma, 74552. Or you can call us toll-free if you'd like at 1-800-369-7856. That's one 800 369-7856. Remember, this is a faith ministry, and your participation with us is greatly appreciated. Again, our address is Les Feldick Ministries, Route 1, Box 760, Kenta, Oklahoma, 74552. And our phone is 1-800-369-7856. Thanks again for listening, and please join us next time for Through the Bible with Les Feldick. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.